0: And this is the Laura Flanders Show, a TV and radio program that shines a light on the solutions of tomorrow today. We report on the people and movements driving systemic change from the worlds of politics, arts and entrepreneurship. Welcome. Remember Standing Rock, the struggle by the Standing Rock Sioux and tens of thousands of other Native American water protectors against the Dakota Access Pipeline gained visibility for a movement against pipelines that's continuing across many states today. Most media coverage then and since has focused on native opposition to fossil fuels and contamination. But there's another side to the story and what's received far less attention is what some are calling the red road to a new deal a Green New Deal. President Biden fulfilled a campaign promise agreeing to reverse Donald Trump on the Keystone XL, but today's guests believe that it's not one pipeline or another that's the question, but whether we need pipelines at all. Indigenous people, they say, are at the front lines of this movement, not only because they've been first and worst affected by fossil fuel contamination, but also because indigenous traditions show another way that we could live. Today, we're getting a taste of what's happening at the local, regional, and national National level with three guests. Tasia Martineau, a water protector and founder of Camp McGeezy in Cloquet, Minnesota. Her prodding during a chance encounter led our second guest, Jason Goward, to leave his job with the Enbridge Corporation, the Canadian company that's right now trying to force a, a third pipeline through. Anishinaabe territory. Instead, Jason joined the movement to stop Line 3 and became a whistleblower. Both Tasia and Jason are members of the Fond du Lac Band of the Lake Superior Ojibwe. Later, I'm also going to be talking with Winona LaDuke, director of Honor the Earth, another leading water protector in Minnesota and longtime alternative energy, really just transition uh, advocate, Winona helped organize a global day of action against the pipelines May 7th. Uh, And I am very happy to say that I am co-hosting today with my friend and colleague, Judith LeBlanc, who is the chair of the board of the NDN Collective, director of the Native Organizers Alliance. And just to kick things off, you've called this moment a a magic movement moment. Um, Why? And why are you excited to talk about what's happening up there in Anishinaabe territory?
1: Well, first, I, I want to say that I'm, I'm really proud to meet Jason and Tasha, and uh, we should start in a good way. I'm a, a citizen of the Caddo nation and I have great respect for your work. I don't even know where this feeling came from of being in a magic movement moment, but I've experienced it as an elder in many periods of history. But magic movement moments are when all things align and there is a very broad awakening and people take action. And we are in the midst of one that has a very long trajectory. For the past 15 years, native-led movements opposing fossil fuel extractive destruction of land and water is the norm. Native-led movements are the norm. Drilling in the Arctic. Keystone XL pipeline, fracking in Chaco Canyon, stopping the coal terminal in Puget Sound. Many more native-led movements. Yet every time we enter into one of these new movement moments with indigenous-led movement building, the media covers it like discovering Plymouth Rock, but not Laura Flanders. I, I want thank you thank for that you so much. Laura.
0: <laughs> well, she- T- Taja, let's start with you and 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 Jason all of you if you know, care to describe for people like me who don't know the land that we're talking about why it's so precious to you, what it is that you're protecting first and foremost, what do you love about it? Tasia, you want to start?
2: Uh, would you? Hello everyone, my name is Tasia Martino, and I'm a Two-Spirit Indigenous anarchist from the Fond du Lac reservation. I have three beautiful Indigenous daughters and one strong son. And when I think about, you know, the traditional territories that I'm protecting, I think about all of the ancestors who came before me. I think about those who starved to death in the winter of 1850 so that the treaties that were signed were signed so that people like me could stand here today. Um, I, I believe, you know, for my children, it's my duty to continue, you know, protecting these lands, to be a, be a good um, steward of these lands so that my children and my grandchildren and their children after them can continue to hunt these lands, you know, fish these lakes and rice these rivers and, you know, continue to live amongst one another in a good way, you know, side by side with all all that's in creation with us, you know, all who swim, all who fly, all who, you know, all who walk on two legs, you know, it's, it's about, you know, living as one in unity with the world around us. And, you know, in Fond du Lac, you know, as Indigenous people, we're as much a part of the land as the rice and the trees. And so, you know, the connection that we have to the land is what sustains us, you know, we're able to rice, we're able to hunt because, you know, these, these areas that we've We've been, you know, ricing and hunting and traveling for thousands of years. You know, it, it lives within our blood memory. You know, it's it's mm. part of who we are as a people, especially the wild rice there. You know, Monomen is, is sacred to our people. You know, the reason we traveled to these areas is for the food that grows on water. So to continue fighting for a world where, you know, young children are able to rice alongside their parents is really important to all of us you know that's a promise we should all be making to the next generation all right jason coming to you um we're going to hear in a minute about how your
0: position to these questions perhaps changed but i don't suppose your position feeling about the land has changed do you want to weigh in on what
3: it means to you i mean uh to win away into them get them uh, i have to uh, introduce myself in that way uh formally um, but uh the, i have the same feelings as teja because we're both fun like uh band members and uh we have we have the wild rice which is unique to the great lakes area you know quite a bit and it's it's, it is the whole reason that we traveled here from the east, eastern east coast. And uh, this water, we have the start of the Mississippi up here. We have Lake Superior and all the great lakes that flow in here. But then we also have another watershed that the pipeline goes close by, and it goes all the way to the uh, Hudson Bay and all the watershed up there. Um, and my ancestors knew of this watershed divide a long time ago. Mm. uh,
0: let me ask you how you came to know tasia how did you meet
3: um i've always uh you know she lives two miles down the road from me (laughs) and uh i've always known of her actions but uh it started out a while ago um with uh missing and murdered indigenous women and um she kept on uh raising awareness about how the pipeline and bringing in uh out-of-state workers um, from all over the country who who are away from their families and friends and don't really live a uh, you know uh, a lifestyle where they stay in one area, so they're always bringing uh, attention to uh, uh, focusing focusing their attention on uh, women and Indigenous women are not necessarily safeguarded. So she had a group that actually protected and tried to find multiple missing women and children and, and, uh, the pipeline, uh, she was saying exploited that. So that's mm-hmm. how I came to know her. It was in the murdered and missing the indigenous women movement. But you
0: were working for Enbridge when an encounter yeah. with her changed the course of your life. You want to talk about that? Yeah.
3: yeah um, we, we were on a, uh, she was on a radio and I tried to tune in this radio show podcast called native roots radio. And, uh, I was watching and commenting. Um, I was trying to whistle blow a little bit, you know, cause I was already feeling, um, at, it didn't take long for to realize that, uh, the company I was working for was, was, uh, shady, uh, not very, not very, um, good in good practice. And, uh, we were cutting corners and, uh, on safety and environment, as well as some of the men that I was working with were, uh, talking explicit talk of women. And, uh, she started crying and, uh, said that she doesn't want to see me there on the pipeline anymore. And I told her right in front of the uh, podcast that I'm not going into work tomorrow, that I'll join her side and, uh. And I ha- and I am now. So,
1: I would love to hear more about how Tasha and Jason, how you became aware of your ancestral responsibilities. You know, eighty percent of of Native peoples are like me. We walk with a high heel on one foot and a moccasin on the other. And Standing Rock was a huge awakening of our responsibilities, our ancestral responsibilities. Can you describe when you first remember feeling that tie to place, history of place, and future of place?
2: Um, For me, it was uh, a few years back. I was sitting in a room with my oldest daughter, who at the time was six years old. And she turned to me and she said, "Ni mama. And so I listened because that means mother in Ojibwe. And when my daughter speaks Anishinaabemowin, it's serious. So I, I said, what my girl? And she said to me, there's a standing rock in Minnesota. And I told her, no, there's not, sweetheart. I was like, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity that we'll probably only ever see once in our lifespan of all walks of life coming together to fight for the water, to protect the same cause you know and she said to me she's like well it needs to be it's line three and it's coming here you know and I just looked at her and I was like I know and she said to me she was like then why are you just sitting here and it was from that moment on that I knew I had to do something you know and I made that promise to my daughter that I was going to stop line three And so from that point on, it was kind of an everyday conversation. You know, she'd bring it up. She'd be like, oh, like, what are we doing to stop line three? How are we, you know, like she would, she would check in and check on me, you know. And then at one point um, we went with uh, Tanya Abed and Winona to the 1850 uh, Sandy Lake Memorial. And I remember standing there and they held ceremony there to remember all those ancestors you know, who who passed away in that in that way. And I realized, you know, that, you know, the Indian Wars never ended. It's just, you know, colonization has changed. You know, now they call it, you know, resource extraction. And the practice itself is very colonial, you know, and very violent. And, you know, violence upon the land is also violence upon our women. And so we decided that, you know, it was our job to do something about that.
0: So you did Tasia, you got active, you participated in protests, you created a camp. I wanna hear more about that. But to go back to a second to that moment where you see somebody that you know, Jason, they're working for Embridge. Can you Can you talk about what you did, how you felt? Because I think this speaks a lot to how do we talk to people and help them shift their position or or make a new decision in their lives?
2: Yeah. So usually when I hit the easements, you know, I bring with me all of my emotion to bypass our rage and call ourselves peaceful is a lie. You know, the feelings that we channel are sacred and valid and all of it built up is who we are, you know? So, so to honor, honor those feelings, those emotions, and give it a place, you know. And on that day, I brought my anger with me. And usually, you know, I could be seen, you know, yelling at pipeline workers, yelling at police. But when I stormed onto that easement, and I looked up, you know, the first set of eyes I seen were a familiar pair that, you know, I knew and I loved. And we always talk about sex trafficking when it comes to the pipelines. We talk about how It increases drug and sex trafficking. But a conversation that isn't had enough is labor trafficking and how these companies exploit and target Indigenous people who are living in poverty, you know, who have children that they need to support by forms of, you know, food, a a roof over their head, child support, and, you know, all of these ways that they get Indigenous people to work for these companies so that they can check it off on a list and say, oh, no, like, we've consulted with the tribe, we're hiring this many workers. You know, it was like, I think about how statistics are brought up a lot and thinking about how, like, to this company, you know, my friend that I know and love was just a number to them. You know, like it was, they they needed so many Indigenous people to be able to build this project. And it just broke my heart because, you know, I know Jason, um, I've seen him about in the community I've seen, and I know that he had a good heart. I know that he cares deeply for his community. I've watched him, you know, for years, take care of, you know, people who are struggling to get sober, people who are homeless, literally giving them a roof over their head and, and helping them get to treatment. And it's like to see someone that, you know, is a lot different than in Standing Rock. You know, we didn't know who Tiger Swan was. We didn't know our opposition. But when you're at home, you know, you're from here, your 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 roots are here. It's your community at times that you approach when you take these easements. And it was heartbreaking, you know. I turned to what my friend did you say? and like, I well, first the first thing I did, I started crying and I I hollered out to him that he didn't need to be afraid of me because he kind of had this look on his face, like, Oh no. You know? And I told him, you know, I was like, I don't hold any hate in my heart for you. You know, like I know you're out here for your children. I was like, and you know, if you need help with your children, you know, I would, I would bring you wild rice. I would bring you venison, you know, and I, I was a little upset. And some of the friends, some of the friends who were with me, the other protesters yelled out to him because they also recognized him. And I remember one of the things said was that you're on the wrong side of being Anishinaabe. And I think that really stuck with him, you know, as someone who's from here, whose roots are tied so deeply to this land because, you know, Jason and I were, we're connected as indigenous people. We're connected by land. We're connected by language. We're connected by the love for the community around us. And, you know, when we, when we interacted in that moment, it felt as if time stood still all of the workers and all of the protesters were just watching, you know, to see, cause you know, it's, it's us. The ones who are from here who set, you know, we set the pace for mm. how to interact in such a way. And I'm assuming
0: that was why you tuned into net roots radio the, the next day, Jason, I mean, native roots radio, the
3: next, next day. Like she said, it, it, it was, it was heartbreaking because I was kind of in a bind I have to, uh, you know, send uh, money to my uh, child, support to my son who lives like 100 miles away, you know, send birthday gifts and different things like that. And I depended on this temporary job to actually sustain uh, a lot of that, the, those uh, resources to my, to my child, um, my son, you know, who is also a Fun life Band member. But then I realized, well, 20 years from now, or 15 years from now, actually, um, he's gonna want to come back to this reservation. He's gonna want to fish these lakes. He's gonna want to rice these lakes. He's gonna want to hunt here. What what do I do if I you know that short term money for a couple of years um, is outweighed by the the uh, the um, destruction of this pipeline coming directly from corner to corner of our reservation? It's not only in our ceded territory, but it's on through the Like preservation as well. And it, he, he wouldn't be able to feed himself. He wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, gather his own medicine, his own food, you know, and it just, uh, two years of, uh, income from when he was a kid compared to, you know, 30 years of food and medicine and, uh, and uh natural resources that sustainable natural resources that he can he can gather himself when he gets older so i i had to make the right decision and leave um and and it's um uh, subcontracting companies as well
1: so often when we've experienced these kinds of troubles on our lands the mainstream media portrays it as that we're victims But what is new and developing an Indian country that is so beautiful is that we're the source of solutions. Could you tell us a a little bit about the camp that you've uh, established and how you're nurturing and developing uh, emergent power to change the conditions in the community in which you live? Because jobs are an issue. How, How we live, how we take care of one another is an issue. And how do you how are you working on that what what do you say to people
2: so in 2017 we put together a group called Gitchigumi Scouts, and what we do is search and patrol for missing murdered indigenous women and relatives and one of the ways you know we make change is by supporting one another you know uplifting a community so that we make it through together and you know if if i'm eating i'm making sure that you know, the children in my community are also eating. I'm making sure that my neighbors have a warm coat. And so, you know, my activism against the pipeline actually started with forms of mutual aid, forms of loving and supporting the Indigenous community, because that's what we as Indigenous people are meant to do. You know, the village will care for the warriors and the warriors will care for the village. And so Jason has been, you know, actively helping us do that, um, making sure that people are able to get ceremony, um, making sure that, uh, you know, people know where to gather these medicines, how to do so, especially when the pandemic hit, you know, and I kind of seen a shift during the pandemic. You know, people were back on the lakes, they were offering tobacco, they were gathering their own medicine. And then, you know, we when Enbridge started digging, one of the first spots they hit is an area where I had sat in ribbon skirts and braids learning to reclaim a language that they took from my grandmother and when they started digging in late december that was the first spot they hit you know they dug up all the dirt and they dumped it on top of that spot you know where i had learned to pray where i had learned to reconnect and warm my roots that i had lost and for me that was the last straw you know it was almost as if you know someone walking into their church and seeing pieces of their grandmother laid on the altar. You know, and we know it was intentional because Enbridge knew how important that spot was to many of us who are trying to decolonize, trying to reclaim everything that they had taken from our grandmothers. And so at that point, I decided that we were gonna start a camp. And at first we were gonna do it on Jason's property But many of his family, you know, some of them work for the pipeline. Some of them, you know, support the cause. They love Jason. They love me. They want to help. But, you know, part of it is fear of our governing body who is in agreement to the pipeline. And so we weren't able to do the camp there. But we were scouting one day, you know, and what scouting is, is when you go out and you watch if there's any construction going on, any workers, you know, congregating in any such space. Because oftentimes, you know, these workers, like Jason said earlier, they're thousands of miles from home with no friends, no family. And some of them are looking to, you know, increase the drug and sex trade. And so we make sure to stay vigilant. And while we're scouting, uh, I seen these eagles that were flying around each other, they were dancing. And I had never seen two eagles before in one spot dancing in such a way. So I got out to lay out my asema, which is tobacco. And as I'm putting out my tobacco, I seen this beautiful woman staring at me. And at first I got scared. I was like, oh, I'm not alone here. And then I realized it was a for sale sign with the picture of the realtor on it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of walked the property line and I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of house is for sale. And I realized there were no structures. It was just land. And within a few yards of the for sale sign was another sign that said pipeline construction, you know? So I reached out and I put my hands on the birch trees that were standing there and I made a promise to those trees. You know, I said, I'll try, you know, like, I don't know how, but I will, I will try. And so I called, um, I called my partner and usually I'll text. I, I have weird anxiety about talking on the phone sometimes. So he knew to answer right away because I never called. And so he answered and I told him I found it. I was like, I found the camp. And he was like, this was just like talk of doing a camp. We weren't sure if we ever would. And then they came out and they looked at the space and we put up a GoFundMe. And, you know, we we were able to crowdsource the money. Uh, thanks to, you know, like MN350 and other such groups who support the movement. And then we purchased the land on the 9th. The first bell tent went up on the 10th of January, and we've been there ever since. You know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, in the struggle, people, they become the fight. They bury themselves there, and they lose sight of who they are, and the fight is all that matters. But at Camp Migizi, which means Eagle in Ojibwe, you know, we're gonna ask you to heal because the way we honor sacred warriors is by making sure we put our best foot forward, you know, and realizing that, you know, protect the sacred goes deeper than just protesting pipelines. Protect the sacred means, you know, like standing up for indigenous communities, loving and supporting one another and being brave enough to heal, being brave enough to recognize that we carry a lot of trauma and scars from colonialism and being willing to work on them
0: This is The Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. My co-host today is Judith LeBlanc, a citizen of the Caddo Tribe of Oklahoma and director of the Native Organizers Alliance. We're talking with two members of the Fond du Lac Band of the Ojibwe Anishinaabe who are working to stop the Line 3 pipeline. Tasia Martineau is founder of Camp McGeezy in Cloquet, Minnesota. Jason Goward, a former Enbridge employee, has turned whistleblower and become a water protector. Enbridge is the Canadian company that is right now trying to force a third pipeline through this part of Anishinaabe Treaty Territory. We're talking about energetic indigenous opposition, but also indigenous energy alternatives today. And you can find more of our coverage of this kind of work, including our special feature on the Standing Rock Uprising and my past interviews with Judith LeBlanc in our archives. That's at our website, lauraflanders.org. That's also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter to get information on all our streaming events and web exclusives, including my full uncut interviews and commentaries. Coming up, we'll hear firsthand from Jason Goward about Enbridge's practices, its promises, why he went to work there, and why he left. But first, Released on Earth Day in 2021 via Rock the Cause Records, here's No More Pipeline Blues On This Land Where We Belong, produced and composed by Larry Long and featuring, get this, the Indigo Girls, Winona LaDuke, Bonnie Raitt, Native American Poet Laureate, Joy Harjo, as well as Wabanuke, Day Sisters, Mumu Fresh, Pura Fe, Sonny Moreno, and Jennifer Kreisberg. Proceeds from this song go to Honor the Earth, the nonprofit founded by Leduc and the Indigo Girls to stop Enbridge's Line 3 tar sands oil pipeline.
4: This is the same water that was here when dinosaurs were here. There is no new water. This is the only water we will ever know. This is the same water that my great ancestors drank from and harvested our wild rice upon. Water is sacred. Water is sacred because without water, there is no life. You
0: cannot drink oil. So Jason, let me bring you in on that because I hear the word bravery and I think about how brave you were to make the move that you did. What did you bring in the way of information in your capacity also as whistleblower? What did you learn about Enbridge and its practices and its promises um, that you felt you needed to share that perhaps people still don't know
3: a lot of the um work that was being done was unsafe for the workers like me um i was working in a what they call a mat yard and uh it, they were flipping up almost causing harm to people and they actually has been some enbridge workers that have passed away on the pipeline because of unsafe practices um also i noticed there was these these mats that were being hauled in—they're from out of the area, so they had a lot. They have a lot of invasive species, and they weren't even washing them off, cleaning them off. They're they're huge wooden mats that they use to drive the equipment on, so the equipment mm-hmm. don't get. And then I noticed a, a seven out of fifty workers—only fifty on my crew that I was on specifically—tested uh, positive for COVID nineteen. So, um, wait, give us that attack. again.
0: How many people tested? What proportion tested positive? Seven
3: out of 50. Wow. So, and then there was a huge explosion of, um, COVID 19 cases on the reservation shortly after that. So, in a way, it's actually a form of genocide, you know, like smallpox blankets and things like that. You know, it, it seemed like, you know, the form of genocide through environment through direct uh, safety issues and then through disease, you know, and you know, me and Tasia were quite a bit trying to help curve that with uh, gathering natural medicines uh, for the reservation. And we were sending it all the way across country, even, you know, to uh, many other reservations that are also dealing with the pandemic, you know? Um, But yeah, it was safety environmental and, uh, and, uh, yeah, disease. And, I, and I I tried to whistleblow it. I called OSHA. I called, uh, um, uh, ACLU. I called, uh, as well as I called the uh, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency left the messages and I was getting nowhere, um, quite a bit from the inside, you know, of all these violations. So I, um, I joined Asia. <laughs> OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. I mean, Judith, to
0: you on this um, hearing, this is just in a microcosm, so much of what you and your work is about. Can you talk a little um, yourself about the context in which stories like this are playing out and just what is the question when it comes to pipelines? Uh, Enbridge says line three will be bigger and better than line two and line one and you name it. Um, But I'm hearing it's not about improving pipelines, but getting out of the pipeline mindset altogether.
1: You know, we, it is so important when we talk about Indigenous led movements uh, to protect Mother Earth and water that we understand that indigeneity and Indigenous teachings intertribally point the direction for how we can deal with the crisis that we're in the climate chaos, and the health, because we are all related. And so when you talk about pipelines and whether or not they should or shouldn't be built, the problem with it is it's not binary. We have to be looking about how we're all in relationship and how what we do today has an impact on our descendants. What we do today is directly related to the learnings that all of our ancestors, and I'm talking broadly, not just indigenous ancestors, but all of our ancestors. So I would say that we have a moral and an inherent right to protect Mother Earth, but we also have a legal right. And one of the key solutions that we have a crack door opening to is prior informed consent and and that is the international standard for nation and nation relationships as de- developed by the united nations we want the biden administration to ensure that we that nations native nations have prior informed consent so that we have the information that jason experienced so often they say oh we're going to create jobs but those jobs are often unsafe conditions and also at this moment in history are super spreader events.
0: So is there action at the DC level? I mean Deb Holland has used the terms prior informed consent in legislation in policy. Um, what difference is being made there and, and then you know how do we bridge from the the local to the national?
1: Deb Holland, the fact that she was appointed and confirmed as the first native secretary of the Department of the Interior is an amazing event. After hundreds of years, there's an Indian person who understands what it is to be a single parent, who understands working with tribes, for tribes, and understands the protection of Mother Earth. But Deb Holland's appointment is not a destination. It just creates conditions on the ground for us, Vitesha and Jason and others, to organize the movement to ensure that prior informed consent becomes the law of the land. And in many ways, we have an opportunity because there are so many struggles going on to protect sacred sites, to stop Line 5, to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, to stop the, the drilling in the act that we have to lean into being Indigenous. Instead of just looking at stopping, we need to be projecting... What are the solutions why is it that that pipelines haven't solved the energy uh, energy needs of this country they're only destroying destroying things that we need for the future we need to move towards a place where we can end that dependency and you know we know that energy needs exist but there are alternatives And at this point in time, many, many indigenous, but also people from from the scientific world are saying, we have to start building, creating, and using alternative forms of Mm. energy now. That's what we need to press the Biden administration on. Yes, stop the pipelines, protect sacred sites and water, but lean into capitalizing and funding alternative forms of energy so that we can totally remove fossil fuel as the source of energy.
0: I'm going to get a chance to talk to Winona LeDuc in just a bit, and she talks about a just transition being a transition from a fossil fuel economy that is the exception to the rule, that that is the alternative, that has been the alternative, let's declare it a failed alternative, and return to practices that preceded and could follow uh, this little Ah, uh, fossil hiccup. Um, what would a just transition mean to you, Jason? What would be required? Um, what's involved? And can you see
3: it around you in the in the sprouting now? Yes, I can see it with um, hemp plastics rather than uh, fossil fuel plastics. I see it also as you know eventually we'll go back to a day where. We can, we can travel our waterways. There's no dams in the way to where we can travel by canoe and, and boat and, and, and dog sled and horse. But, you know, it, it takes practice. It's going to take uh, 30 years of practice to, at minimum, you know, of uh, raising someone that way from traditional indigenous ways of travel to traditional indigenous ways of living 30 years minimum for one person's life. But for generations, I am thinking seven generations ahead of us. That's our sacred number, seven generations ahead with the ancestors who lived seven generations ago who used to live this way. It was only 150 years ago uh, or less before the treaty. Um, Actually, the Treaty of 1854, my grandfather lived traditional. My great-grandfather lived traditional. And uh, that meant When he went to D.C. to uh, uh, fight for the Treaty of 1854, the Treaty of La Pointe, he traveled by canoe and waterway and dog sled. We could go back to that. I'm new to a lot of this. So, yeah, just transition is like what everyone uh, has spoken on. We need representation on the indigenous level. We need um, women and elder leading. We also need um, people that are are radical that need to just kind of quit their jobs <laughs> and <laughs> quit their Enbridge jobs, you know, quit their, their jobs that are colonial in mindset, you know, uh, that are extracting uh, resources that are not good for the environment. Uh, They're not good for the sustainable resources. Deja
2: to you just transition. What would it look like? What does it look like? Can you see it? I believe that, you know, a just transition isn't only about stepping away from fossil fuels. I, absolutely love, support, and adore the work that Winona does. Uh, you know, and she's a prime example of how do we get there? And, you know, we need strong Indigenous women on the front lines everywhere. You know, every table where decisions are being made. I want a Nakomis or a Nino Shan sitting at that table. We need woman leadership. We need to step away from the toxic patriarchal colonialism that is the now and move towards where our women are leading us you know because it's important to live alongside one another in a way that is right and i believe that you know the indigenous women who are taking the lead in all these fights all across turtle island they have the answers they have those answers because it's been a part of us you know since time immemorial to to lead you know women are leaders women are warriors and it's it's our women who are going to lead us into a better tomorrow. So I'm so glad that Winona was brought up because it's you know it's the leadership of women that's going to move us towards a more sustainable and viable future. What's coming up, Judith?
1: From an indigenous framework, we understand that we are all in relationship to one another, to the natural world. Many people are thinking about that because of COVID. The health of a healthcare worker is as important as my family's health care and i also believe that because we have the understanding of the present the present is where the past and the future come together what we do now matters that's what just transition is maximizing what we do now to prepare for Seven generations ahead.
0: I, I thank you all so much. Judith LeBlanc from NDN and the Native Organizers Alliance. Uh, mm-hmm. Deja Martineau, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Jason Goward, so glad to have you in the movement. So glad you're with us today. I'm going to have a chance to talk with Winona LaDuke, director of Honor the Earth, another leading water protector in Minnesota and longtime just transition alternative energy advocate.
4: What is Line 3? A lot of people want to know, and a lot of people don't know. So think of it this way. There are six really old pipelines that they put through in northern Minnesota, shipping diluted tar sands from Alberta to Superior, Wisconsin. And one of those lines is called Line 3. It has, according to Enbridge, about uh, 900 structural anomalies in it. Structural anomalies are things like small little pinhole leaks, maybe comes some cracks, and some of those end up to be big problems, like that Kalamazoo spill. That was a structural anomaly. Line three, it's old and it's corroding and it's at the end of its life. It's already had a number of leaks and spills, and frankly, it's a catastrophe waiting to happen. There is a likelihood that there is a whole bunch of contamination under the present line. And once that corrodes, our children and grandchildren may one day watch it drain a lake or a wetland or flood a farm field. Fixing these problems is very expensive, so Enbridge wants to abandon the pipeline, walk away and build a brand new one in a brand new corridor. Enbridge calls this a replacement project. They're replacing line three. They are not replacing line three. They're putting in a whole new corridor and doubling the size of the line. That is not a replacement. That's a brand new line. And that's what's wrong. The good news is, is that the Ojibwe tribes are standing up and a lot of landowners, county commissioners, and mayors are getting increasingly concerned about who's gonna be liable for Enbridge's mess. So tell Governor Dayton, to tell the state legislator, to tell county commissioners that abandonment is not what we want. We want big Canadian energy corporations to clean up their mess and not leave it for all of us. And we feel that they should put hardworking Minnesotans to work doing it. It's time to make a plan, investing in cleaning up and stabilizing our existing infrastructure and building
0: stuff that actually serves people. Eighth Fire Solar is producing renewable power that LeDuc believes will help make the people of the White Earth Reservation energy sovereign.
4: We bought this from Rio Rural Renewable Energy Alliance. The stuff comes in here. There's a lot of cutting, so the solar panel glass is made locally, which is cool. And then it's manufactured here. John is starting to talk to people. John got trained a couple times on solar, both installation and thermal.
3: It takes the the sun's energy from the south-facing wall of your home. Just basically takes the sun, the energy that the sun shines on the south-facing wall, and puts it into your home, much like a, a window would. Yeah, it's a different variety on a different technology, a bit more low-tech, making it more accessible for people, but a lot more reasonable as far as price. Structure in this region, their energy demand is only about one-third for electricity and
2: over half for heat, and that's the typical structure in this region. These panels absorb, they have an absorber on the inside, and that collects the heat, and it goes through channels on the
3: inside of aluminum and polyiso, and that kind of directs the heat and even flow. This glass is smooth on this side and dimpled on the other side, and that refractures the light on the inside, so it absorbs more. They're hot. They're warm. They're good.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The Department of Energy estimates that wind power from tribal lands could easily satisfy 30% of U.S. demand, and solar production could generate enough energy to power the country two times over. Uh, This is what I'm going to do. Thank you for joining us. We hope to come to you with some frequency to share with you what's going on in the North country. Let's move on to the next economy. That's when we can all be happy with
0: I don't know about you, but I have a fairly hard time getting my head around the idea of seven generations. My grandmother lived to 100. So in my family, that puts us back well over 200 years. That's long before the American War of Independence. One effect of thinking about that huge span of time is to make me feel fairly insignificant. But the whole point of the Iroquois Confederacy's call for us to think about our impact seven generations hence is to remember that what we do now makes a difference. So how to make sense of it? On the one hand, at the very simple level, I look at a tree near where I live. It's at least that old, and I'm pretty glad some fool didn't cut it down all those years back. That's one way. Another is to think about quantum theory. Now, there's a 20th century phenomenon. Quantum theory teaches us that two contrasting things can exist at the very same time, in the very same place, and both be true. So I think I'm going to work on getting my head around that. For more information on this week's guests, go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show, where you'll also find suggested reading, watching and listening and additional related episodes to explore. That's where you'll get an invite to add your voice to our conversation by joining us on YouTube every Sunday morning, 1130 AM Eastern, where we watch the week's premiere together and participate in a live chat with guests. All the details are at patreon.com forward slash the LF show and a big thank Thanks to our precious Patreon partners for their monthly support. Thanks to you, this show remains free and accessible to over 200 million Americans. On public television alone, as well as on community radio and as a podcast, we keep our programming free of ads and commercial free, thanks to the support of our listeners and viewers. We're in the home stretch of a May Day to Memorial Day fun drive right now. We're aiming to raise $25,000 to get us to the summer. Please make a donation today by joining us as a Patreon partner. And if you have already, perhaps consider upping your donation. If you're giving three, how about five? Or five to ten? Every dollar matters. It all goes a long way. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Matt Colicello, Jeremiah Cothran, Mercedes Grostiaga, Jeannie Hopper, Nat Needham, Charlotte Carpenter, David Newman, Rory O'Connor, Ryan Hodes, Sabrina Artel, and Jeanette Hernandez. Major funding for this program is provided by the Novo Park, Ellen Posse Family, Hisuku Wilson Foundations, the Schumann Media Center, Rising Fund at Tides, Kim Connor and Nick Groombridge, Jane Fonda, and listeners like you. Thanks for listening, thanks for contributing, thanks for your ideas. Stay kind, stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.